Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling the story of Southern Airways Flight 242. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it never makes any sense. It never makes any sense. Never. Um, today, uh, telling the story of Southern Airways Flight 242. So Southern Airways is another one of those airlines that we've lost to time. Uh, But this we're going back to April 4th, 1977. Wow. So back to the back to the smoking days. Yeah, 70s. And and we're in the South, Southern Airways. Lots of flights in the South. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the route we're doing today is Atlanta, to Huntsville, Alabama, to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Okay. A place I'm not familiar with. Me either. Um, but sounds lovely. Muscle Shoals sounds like a beach. Yes, it um, does. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then back. So Atlanta, Huntsville, Muscle Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Huntsville, Atlanta. Okay. Right? So that's the route. Yeah. Um, and those are little short 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 hops those are not far at all i drove from huntsville to atlanta a thousand years ago uh and it's not a long drive at all so i'm sure like airtime we're talking about like half an hour this is oh wow okay and i don't know anything about muscle shoals alabama yeah (laughs) i hope it's lovely i just don't know anything about it but i assume it's not that far from huntsville because alabama's not that big so right very, very, very quick little hops. Uh, and we're doing it in a DC-9, which is a wonderful plane that I love that on another occasion I might talk about at length, but yeah. <laughs> not today. <laughs> it's April 4th down in the Deep South. Okay. Uh, and just like Florida in the height of summer, just like Texas in the height of summer, uh, this is springtime in the Deep South. It's rainy. Yeah. It's rainy. Yeah. And humid. as far as I can tell, guys, humid, rainy. God bless all of you in the South, <laughs> especially those of you who live in the damp parts of the South, because mm-hmm. that has to be the worst part of the South, yeah. doesn't it? Like so many it, bugs. I don't know. So many bugs. So, so humid. Yeah. And so many storms. Like, again, people talk about snow, but once snow, once it snows, it's just on the ground. <laughs> right. It's a stormy day on April 4th, 1977 in the Deep South. So it is uh, storming up a storm, just really rainy, uh, lots of thunderstorms, stuff like that. It's also the 70s, and I guess everyone's just taking it lightly. So even though it's pretty rainy, even though it's, it's, you know, an icky, kind of thick, rainy, warm day, People still got to go to Muscle Shoals, I guess. Yeah. So we're flying uh, and they, they've they got these, you know, this like quick hop, 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 hop. So or hop, 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 I guess. But don't <laughs> I don't have any rhythm. So who can say? Um, so we've already flown from Atlanta to Huntsville. We've already fl- flown from Huntsville to Alabama. We've al- already Huntsville's in Alabama. You get it to Muscle Shoals. Yeah. We've already flown from Muscle Shoals to Huntsville. We're on our last Leg. Okay. We're boarding up passengers in Huntsville who are going on to Atlanta. Right. And uh, it's the uh, like evening, We've got 85 souls on board. So two pilots, two flight attendants, 81 passengers, which is a nicely, that's like 70% full, I think, on a DC 9. Okay. So uh, we've got Captain Bill, who I think. Is a World War One vet or no? Sorry, good lord, a World War Two vet. I think he's a World War Two vet. Yeah. It was weird that this is not something I can confirm. It's a little spotty. Uh, yeah. And there's Lyman is the first officer. He's 34 and he is a Navy pilot vet. Uh, and we get to know the flight attendants today. Oh, nice. uh, we got Sandy, yeah, Sandy and Catherine. So Sandy awesome. and Catherine are back there, and we love to know the flight attendants. Yeah. They are there primarily for your safety. Yeah. They are not. They are not waitresses in the sky. No, they are not. They just happen. They just happen to bring you snacks. Yeah. So so rainy day. We've already done uh, like seventy five percent 
of our flights for the day. We've just got this little short, short hop over to Atlanta from Huntsville. And it is stormy and it's a really short flight. So the captain, Bill, tells Catherine, who's the head flight attendant, says, like, don't even don't do service. Just don't stay in your seat. Stay buckled. Stay safe. It's going to be bumpy. It's half an hour. People will live. Right. Yeah. They can just smoke in peace without (laughs) without Without, no snacks no drinks right it's fine and Catherine and sandy are like you got it boss (laughs) like click click and off they go so they board up it's raining pretty thick rain but but not uh thunderstorm right over where they are now they're boarded up and they get their little printed out weather sheet which again at this time Things move a little more slowly, right? Sure, like yeah. instantaneous up-to-date information is, is something that we kind of take for granted now. Mm-hmm. But they get their weather report that tells them like, yep, rainy. Uh, but it's two hours old and weather can change fast. Uh, but their weather report says says that it's rainy and they can look outside and see that it's rainy and they say, okay, it's rainy. And they close the doors and uh, take off. They are only a couple minutes into taking off and they're only ascending to 17,000 feet in the first place because it's a very short flight. Mm. So they're only going up to 17,000 feet. It's rainy. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. That's supposed to be the end of it. But they're only a couple of minutes in still ascending to their cruising altitude of 17,000 feet and air traffic control calls them and says about five miles ahead of you there's some weather like there's some moderate to severe weather about five miles ahead of you which in the air actually not when you want to find out about that right it's pretty you actually want that information five miles ahead right five miles ahead when you're going hundreds of miles an hour very very close And so five miles ahead is so close and the pilots kind of look around at the pretty hard rain that they're already flying in and they look down at their radar. So at this time on this plane, they have a a basic weather radar uh, available to them and it looks like weather on their radar, but it doesn't it doesn't look crazy. And so they call air traffic control back and say, Okay, like, you know, hey, thanks for letting us know. Is it about what we're already flying in? Like, we're already getting our plane washed. Is it, is it about the same? They actually do not get an immediate answer to that question. Hmm. Uh, but they keep the air tra- uh, whatever. Air traffic control is busy. Yeah. What are you going to do? So they're looking at the radar and they're kind of talking about it. And on radar, if you watch the meteorologist on TV or anything, like you see that there's holes in storms right or like places where a plane could theoretically like pass through where it'll be either less severe or just more manageable or maybe not storming at all depending on the situation and so there bill and lyman are looking at their radar and looking around outside and they're they see what looks like a a hole in the storm or at least a patch where they can pass through the storm where it's it looks less stormy less dangerous so they're talking about this hole and uh like bill is fairly confident that uh that hole is the way that they came so he's pretty sure that when they had flown from atlanta to huntsville that that's the same trajectory they had taken so he has reason to think that that hole that we're looking at right now that's probably place to be and you know lyman defers to him I'm going to say something real quick about Lyman. Lyman has a quality that I personally love Mm. in other people where Lyman says your name when he talks to you all the time. Yes. Like Lyman in the transcript, there's like pretty much, I mean, 80% of the things Lyman says start with Bill or ends with Bill. Like he just is always, so Bill is like, I'm pretty sure we can fly through that. And Lyman's like... Sounds good, Bill. Yes. Or you know, just yeah. and I just think it's such a nice quality. It is. And these two these two guys are, you know, professional pilots who have yeah. a lot of experience. And so they're they're figuring it out, right? It's weather, they're flying through, they're all weather exists all the time, they're in the rain. They keep flying and they fly toward that spot that they thought would probably be the lightest part of the the wet the storm. 
and the weather is starting to get worse around them instead of improving or staying the same. The weather is starting to get worse and the rain is just slamming against the plane. They do not know this. They may not know that this is even possible, but there's something called the attenuation effect with radar specifically or the, the maybe today what we would call rudimentary radar that they're working with on this plane where rain when it is so 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 wet the rain will absorb the microwaves that the radar is oh wow is supposed to pick up on so what they see and believe is a space where they can fly through where the rain is going to be the least severe is actually the most intense part of the storm they also don't know that they're not flying through one storm. They're flying through a line of thunderstorms oh that have all converged into a line, basically splitting the world in half yeah. between Huntsville and Atlanta. They don't know any of that. They're flying toward what they think is going to be the, the least severe part of the storm. It is actually the most severe. So as they're flying... This half hour flight, yeah, the rain is getting harder and harder and harder, and then it turns into hail, and the plane is getting battered, mm. battered by hail, big, thick hailstorms. It's windy, it's intense. This this storm system with all of these different storms that have glommed onto one another and are strung along this storm system in other places has tornadoes in it the weather is getting insane the hail is pelting this plane and the windshield cracks oh no the windshield cracks in several places thick pieces of hail crack the windshield and obviously our boys bill and lyman realize like okay like this is actually a very severe storm i'm sure they have not had the experience before of flying commercially and having their windshield cracked by hail so they are starting to realize that this this is a serious storm and Lyman says, I I don't know if we can fly through this, Bill. (laughs) I don't know if we can fly through this, Bill. And Bill says they they need to fly through the the faintest area of the radar because they still think that they're gonna they're gonna cut across there. He says he's like, we're gonna cut across right here, right here. We're gonna you know just fly just through there, and then we'll be on the other side of it. Is what he believes. So. They have, it's called a squall line that they've flown into. Bill calls air traffic control because their windshield is cracked, and that's a real problem, yeah. okay? Bill calls air traffic control and says the windshield cracked, uh, and we're, we've fallen to 1400. So the wind is blowing them down, and the, all of this intense weather, all of this precipitation, all of that rain and hail going into the engines is making it hard for them to climb. So they were going up to 17,000 uh, 17, feet. They uh, were at 15,000 feet, and they've actually gotten pushed down to 1,400 feet. So Lyman calls and tells air traffic control, windshield cracked by hail, we're flying through hail, the weather is bad, and we've gotten pushed down to 14,000 feet. Oh, 14,000. Okay, so so they've gotten pushed down to 14,000 feet. Okay, okay. The passengers, the passengers who can see the engines can see the engines getting pummeled by huge rocks of hail bam 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 on the cowling of the engine on the left side the cowling of the engine gets battered off the plane no more cowling on the engine this is an insane this is biblical this is a crazy hailstorm that they are flying through the engines are, are starting to like surge and struggle as they're just swallowing up all of this water and hail. And it, it, an engine uses combustion, uses fire. So it's totally possible that they can get get snuffed out and, and shut down right. by this water. So they're struggling. The engines are struggling to to keep up and continue to work in this intense weather. For two minutes... There is some kind of power interruption 
where there is no recording from the CVR. So we don't know what happened for two full minutes Jeez. while they're flying through this horrific, horrendous, wicked hailstorm. It must have been so loud, too. Unbelievably loud. Yeah. Unbelievably loud. When the power comes back on, Lyman is saying, get it back, Bill, get it back. And the left engine has shut down. The left engine is toast. When the power comes back on, Lyman is urging Bill, using his name very politely, to, to try to get the engine back. Lyman is flying the plane, and the captain is trying to you know, do what he can to try to get the engine two to start back up. They don't know it doesn't have a cowling anymore. They don't know that they're not going to be able to start it back up. Mm. Air traffic control calls them. And tells them, you know, set calls, says, hey, maintain 15,000 feet, which I'm sure doesn't feel good when they're trying to get there. But it's a pretty normal way for air traffic control just to communicate, to kind of start off with that kind of information. Like, hey, maintain 15,000 feet. Uh, and uh, Lyman says, yeah, we're trying to get it up there. Roger, uh, we got our, in our windshield busted. Air traffic control is like, sorry, your transponder cut out? Um, oh. Did you say that your your windshield got busted? Our left engine went out. They do not realize that the left engine has been not just extinguished, but essentially destroyed yeah. by hail, literally just beaten to death by hail. The right engine goes out. The two engines that this plane depends on are both Ooh. out. They realize that they've lost both engines. And as they realize that they've lost both engines, as the captain has been trying to restart the left engine, as Lyman is just trying to keep the plane steady and trying to get to stupid 15,000 feet, they lose both engines and they actually fly out of the storm. Oh, wow. They actually whoop out of the storm. And they go from being on a plane that is getting just bam, 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 insanely loud, getting just beaten to death by this horrible storm they fly out of the storm with no engines dead silence oh my gosh dead silence no power just gliding jeez they I don't leave know what's scarier the storm. The loudness or oh. the silence right right <sighs> they leave the storm at 14,000 feet and are falling at 56 feet per second. That means that they have 25 seconds before they hit the ground. Jeez. I don't know how long it took them to do that math. I don't know if they did. I'm offering that math to you. Meanwhile, the flight attendants are in the back and the flight attendants know what it means when it's dead silent they know what it means when there's no power yeah. they know that they have lost both engines so Catherine's up at the front of the plane and Catherine opens the cockpit door and says like uh, hey guys the engines are out and Lyman is like sit down yeah. <laughs> which I understand I understand he said sit down like prepare for emergency landing and so Catherine does yep you got it shuts the door sits down in the in her jump seat uh calls Sandy in the back and says like we have to do the emergency you know prepare the cabin for an emergency landing so they stay buckled in stay in their seats but start to like yell instructions for people like to brace for impact they tell people to take their shoes off because that was the standard at that time people the the airlines were afraid that high heels would stab the um, emergency slides so part of the policy was to like remove jewelry remove your shoes remove anything that could puncture the slide oh, wow. so they're yelling directions to people about brace position to take off their shoes or taking off their own shoes which this is this is a scary situation. The plane keeps falling, 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 falling. They're calling air traffic control and they're telling air, air traffic control that they've lost both engines. They need, they need an airport now. They need an airport now. And air traffic control is giving them vectors to other 
airports that are close by. They uh, propose uh, Dobbins. That's an Air Force base down there. And they propose that, but it's 15 miles away. There's another one that's 10 miles away, away, but behind them. And unbeknownst to all three of the people involved in this, both pilots and the air traffic controller, there actually is a small general aviation uh, airport that was the closest one, but it's also very small, very short runway. And it was just on the map that the air traffic controller has, it just doesn't show up. It's just just outside of their jurisdiction, yeah. their area. So they're talking about different things. They're, they're trying to start the engines back up. The, try, the plane is just falling, 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 falling. The air traffic controller is giving them uh, vectors for Dobbins, for the Air Force Base. And Lyman is the one flying and he says declare an emergency bill to the captain <laughs> and the captain actually doesn't declare an emergency which I, I think that he says both engines are out and like we need an emergency we need to make an emergency landing we need the closest possible uh, runway we need something and he explains that to the air traffic controller he doesn't actually declare an emergency but um, I, the Air traffic control is kind of pushing Dobbins and and Lyman says, like, I doubt we're going to make it, but we're trying to get something started. Bill says, uh, get your flaps and they extend the the flaps to try to maximize their glide time. Uh, and that makes them realize, like, OK, they got hydraulics, they got hydraulics. They're like kind of like rushing. This is seconds, right? Happening yeah. fast. Every single second they're getting closer and closer and closer to the ground. Bill says, the captain, he says, I'm picking out a clear field. He's like, I'm looking for a you know wide open field. And Lyman says, like, Bill, you got to find me a highway. And Bill says, like, no, let's, we'll wait for the next open field. And, and Lyman says, no, no, it's going to be a highway, and it's going to be that highway right there. Now, below them is Highway 52. Highway 52, I don't know what you're picturing, friends, but Highway 52 is just a rural road yeah. with two lanes. It's not a highway. They are flying over over rural Georgia at this point. The air traffic controller keeps giving them different, you know, options, different places, which is what their job is. If you've ever listened to the air traffic control recording from the Sully flight, the Miracle on the Hudson flight, they just keep spinning options at you, right? Because they're just trying to help you problem solve because yeah. there's nothing. That's the most helpful thing they can do for you is be available and try to give you options. And Bill calls them and says, we're putting it down on the highway. We're, we're down to nothing. As they're getting closer and closer and closer, the flight attendants see trees mm. out the window and Sandy screams down the plane, like, grab your ankles. And they touch down onto this two-lane road. Jeez. And Bill says, there's a car there. And Lima says, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And a DC-9 is 93 feet and five inches from wingtip to wingtip. Mm. And the the power lines on Highway 52 here are 80 feet apart. Mm. And so they touch down, they start to slide, and the wing hits the power line, Mm. and the plane starts to break apart. And they hit cars. And the plane slides and slides and slides and it breaks into five separate pieces as it just slides down this road. And the frontmost part of the plane crashes into a gas station. Oof, my and the God. gas station explodes into fire. They hit five cars total. They hit the gas station. The gas station explodes and catches a grocery store that's like attached to it on fire. And this tiny, it's not even a town, this place, it's an unincorporated part of the state called New Hope. As the plane broke apart, passengers were ejected from the plane. Catherine, the flight attendant in the front, realizes she stopped moving. She is upside down, strapped into her seat by her seatbelt. But she's not hurt. She unhooks herself 
climbs down and tries to help the passengers and she realizes that she's in the front so you guys can all imagine where the flight attendant sits in the front of any plane right by the cockpit this plane has broken into five separate pieces so her part of the plane is separated from the part that the pilots are in the pilots the part of the plane that the pilots were in crashed into the gas station and the pilots were ejected from the cockpit and both were killed Mm. sandy is in the back of the plane and her part of the plane is on fire oh no and she unbuckles herself she stands up she's trying to like get the passengers to come with her away from the fire the fire is at like the mouth of the hole from where it broke off from the rest of the plane and she there's a an exit right behind her so she's trying to get passengers to come with her and she goes to the door and it's jammed and won't open so she's fighting with the door trying to bust it open and she turns around when she realizes she's not going to be able to get it to figure out what to do and the fire where she is the fire at the part of the plane where she is has actually died down it's just it's it's not they're not connected to a part of the plane that has fuel the fire is just thankfully has died down so she starts to like run out of the hole in the plane and tries to help passengers they're all barefoot running around on the ground (sighs) Catherine ran toward a house, the nearest house in this little rural, unincorporated territory. Sadie Hurst is just a nice lady who lives in New Hope Hmm. in her house. And Sadie Hurst hears the explosion, hears the plane crash. She sees her entire house through the window is just glowing red from the fire. She walks and like looks out the window and can see people like passengers who had survived the crash, like walking just in a daze, totally in shock, walking toward her house. And I don't know where exactly the plane crashed in reference to her house. I know it's very, very close, but a bunch of passengers just walked into her house in shock and she just like tried to like tend to them Catherine comes running in bursts into the door and sees that there's like 10 passengers in there and like Sadie Hurst nice lady local neighbor just in there trying to help and 72 people died oh wow 72 people died most everybody nine people on the ground died including an entire family of seven people. Oh my God. 20 passengers lived and both flight attendants lived. Both of the pilots were killed. I just, as a habit, we don't talk about some of the horrific parts, the details of like the human suffering, but it was horrible yeah it was horrible and this is a tiny little nothing not even a town right in a rural area and the i will say like the people in new hope who have they've been harmed just to be clear again nine people died nine just people walking around in their car died in a plane crash right, right? like they the local volunteer firefighters showed up like it took a while for like the more experienced more whatever um equipped emergency services to show up and the people in new hope like sprung into action and did what they could (sighs) i hate this one um so this is the first time that a big commercial jet like this had had double engine failure like this, which I find so hard to believe, yeah. but that's what like it is. This is the first so, instance ever. Apparently I, I find that so hard to believe. And I assume I'll get a message from somebody saying yeah. it's not true, right. but like, that's what, that's what it says. So I, but related to that, 
there was not only there was no training at all for double engine failure yeah. period yeah. Voop, none and the faa it wasn't just southern airways being negligent right the faa did not require training like that it was just considered such a remote possibility like other things that have happened right where there's yeah. not training for it because you think it's a remote possibility and it is a remote possibility but it happens eventually right. and so this was caused by the weather right the pilots there was a i think a maybe like a 30 year anniversary article about this in a local paper from i think from georgia maybe from alabama um but the article quotes somebody from new hope from the little area who says like nobody blames the pilots like they did their best and i think it's so sweet yeah. i love that lady because they i mean they they had 25 seconds 25 seconds yeah. from f escaping that storm and going from getting battered battered to dead silence and they did do their best yeah. and they can't they don't they can't measure the distance of the power lines right like this is all impossible you know they they did the best they could with what they had and there's no training for this period and yeah the weather information that pilots got at that time sucked yeah it sucked yeah. it compared to now it would be you know now it would be intolerably unacceptable right but they just had a a system of having old information, yeah. bad information about the weather. And pilots did have to depend more on their own flying skills, their own abilities, and couldn't depend on these things that they really need to depend on. Right. You need information about the weather. This was an, a massive storm. Like, this storm, this, like huge huge line of storms mm. had tornadoes in it along the line had thunderstorms had hail you know apocalyptic huge softball size hail yeah. huge hail it was a horrific storm but they did the the two changes that came from this with the ntsb was um the oh, train people for double engine failure or complete engine failure whatever you want the right word to be um and get meteorologists in air traffic control offices. Yeah. So they started to, you know, have people who, because like, God bless the air traffic controllers, they are not meteorologists. They're not meteorologists. Right. They're doing their best, right. you know, and give training about like the, the um, attenuation, like the fact that your radar can deceive you and send you into the worst part of the storm instead of the best part of the storm. There were four um, NTSB guys. I don't yeah. know. NTSB investigators. Dudes. Yeah. Investigators who had to like sign off on the final thing. Yeah. And one of them, like it's, I guess like the, they have to write like concurrent opinions or, you know, uh, opinions that uh, diverge from the the main report and one of them one of them really 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 put it on the pilots in that he didn't he once everybody agrees that once the engines were out they just did what they could yeah but one of them was really like they should not have flown the weather was too bad and they should have known better but i think it stands out to me that like of like NTSB are going to be the people who are most geared towards safety already. Um, and then the other three felt like the problem was definitely that the plane flew through bad weather, but they yeah. went with the information they had. So by and large, the NTSB agreed that the pilots did the best they could with what they had. And there's big chunks missing from the CVR. So one of the questions is why didn't they go to, there was an, there was a closer airport that they had passed by the time it was too late. And they just said they don't know if they talked about going there. They just have no right. knowledge of whether or not they discussed it, whether or not they could even see it, whether or not they, because there's minutes missing where we have no idea what they said, what they talked about, what they did, which to me makes it a lot harder to 
uh, it's always hard for me to be convinced to blame the pilots. But yeah. if you're missing big chunks of what they discussed, it makes it even harder. Um, right. Lyman and Bill, you do not deserve this. No. Well, and this feels like one of those flights that is like, I know all flights are supposed to like all crashes, you know, we get better. But this feels like one of right. those like super monumental flights that. It's like we're really, yeah. you know, I don't know if they did immediate changes, but I would imagine, I don't know, just hearing it and looking at it, it's like, okay, we need, we have some serious flaws that we got to look at. Yeah, they definitely for the, um, for the attitude toward weather, I guess, or the um, kind of information about the weather that you should demand or mm, that pilots mm-hmm. should be entitled to. I think that that changed gotcha. like the idea that I also think that in general, I don't know if this is true. People out there can tell us, um, but I do kind of wonder if, if people particularly at this time where actually flying was pretty unusual, right? Like the run of the mill person would probably not fly um, and certainly not fly from Huntsville to Atlanta. Right. Um, I wonder if having such a horrific crash with, with injuries and, and deaths to people who are not flying. I do wonder if that, made um made people look at it more closely i don't know that i just wonder if it like brought it home yeah. to people more right in that right. way oh sadie hurst sadie hurst yeah. she just people just came into her house I think it's pretty natural for lots of people to be like very interested in the um details i guess to use that word um and i it's really up to you right if you want to look those up yeah um uh, like all 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 y'all but the um it's rough it's rough plane crashes are bad yeah and you good lord willing you will never be in a plane crash yeah and even if you are in a plane crash you are much 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 more likely to survive than you are to die yeah plane crashes are bad way yeah bad way to die and i mean like yeah it was a pretty long considerably a long time that they were flying in bad weather so like yeah by this time by the hail you're just like so exhausted anyways you know yeah and yeah even just as the passengers like it just must have been horrifyingly scary the whole flight yeah. As short as it was, like, still, that's a long time. I mean, you know, 30 seconds is a long time to be, like, scared for your life, let alone. Yeah, that extended yeah. minute by minute. And I just imagine, like, the w- one of the passengers who survived was a passenger who was on the wing, mm-hmm. on the left wing, yeah. or close to it, where you could see it. And he, like, watched it Gosh. just get battered and battered and, like, go out. That he's alive so he said how he felt and he felt like he was gonna die yeah that's what how he felt right. and i just imagine like the passengers up front where the in the section Catherine was in because you can if you're really close to the front of the plane and the flight attendant gets up and talks to the the uh, pilots like you can see that i don't know if they could hear anything it was horrific hail right yeah. but I just imagine the, like, if you were in the bulkhead and the flight attendant, like, like, unclicked her seatbelt, got up and, like, stuck her head into the cockpit and then just yell, like, sit down and, like, prepare for an emergency landing. And if you saw the windshield was shattered, that, that is crazy to me. I can't even come close to imagining that. If I was driving in hail and cracked my windshield, I would be like, oh my, like. Yeah, like, this is it, like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. I ate, you know, 10 years ago, ages ago, um, we were working in a place that had like a clay, clay tiled roof mm-hmm. and it hailed one day 
and like just trying to sleep in the like clay tiled roof oh, with God, hail yeah, was just so, loud. so loud and this is a metal tiny metal you know what you're just in a tin can yeah getting pelted yeah extremely scary this is not weather that pilots would knowingly fly into right and that's what it really came down to and the ntsb was trying to figure out what they could do differently is if if a pilot would never knowingly fly into that we need to make sure pilots know it's there so they don't fly into it and we need air traffic controllers to know it's there yeah and so you know obviously like equipment improves all the time and that makes a big difference but but yeah, yeah having meteorologists working for air traffic control makes a big difference because they can interpret that data and anticipate that data more um professionally you yeah. know to a, a higher a higher degree of accuracy right when i was a kid i always used to think it was so weird that the meteorologists would talk about the weather at the airport and uh, I, I used to think because it was like you know 20 minutes away from me or whatever that they were just trying to get like right. a comprehensive area like a geographic <laughs> like mm-hmm. understanding of the the weather but i mean obviously um do you remember the weatherman's weatherman's name um like your local oh God, Buffalo were, weatherman's name? um there was don somebody don paul don paul don paul the meteorologists i don't know that i guess that's probably something that's gonna like fade out in our lifetimes you know oh yeah for sure the local meteorologist being your local dude that tells you about the weather your local lady who tells you about the weather again I do love meteorologists, though. I love yeah. <laughs> I love that there's like a scientist on the TV sometimes, and that's just talking about their like their science, you know, the thing that they're into. Um, do you have a fact? Is it a weather fact? Uh, it is not a weather fact. <laughs> um, hold on, let me pull it up. It's a traffic fact, actually. Ooh, um, traffic and and weather. funny enough, there is some dispute about whether this is um so there's a dispute which is funny when i was like fact checking it the first thing that came up was um guinness world records and it said something completely opposite and i was like shit there's no basis so but it's disputed it's like something that people who track this information disagree on i guess or just like favor one over the other but um, the original fact that I saw was um, in 2010, there was a 100 uh, kilometers, so 60 miles, traffic jam um, on the China National Highway, and it lasted for 10 days. What? Yes. And that is the longest traffic jam in the world. But according to Guinness World Records, the longest traffic jam was in France, um, which was longer, but it's said to have cleared up in a few hours, I guess. Um, and it was 109 miles. What? Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? 109 miles? I mean, that's that's like, I don't know, here to Binghamton and or something. Like, it's it's... It's... And just, just like traffic, just traffic, just cars, just endless cars for my for a hundred miles, and attend in China for the for the China National Highway one a hundred, or sorry, sorry, ten days and a hundred uh, kilometers, so sixty miles, so it, shorter. But was it was it caused by like a rock slide? Like what could take so long to clear up? Um. A spike in traffic caused by heavy trucks heading to Beijing, which seems crazy. That's crazy. And there was there was some construction, um, but that it wasn't that wasn't like way too much, right? That wasn't apparently the main cause. It was just like overloaded trucks, and uh, it just wasn't like the highway just wasn't prepared for it. Okay, so it was like in a, some kind of thing happening. I know that um, like China has that, um, isn't it like the biggest migration of people on earth is like in China for Chinese New Year? Yeah, 
when like people who are like all like in you know faraway places travel back to see their families yes yeah so i wonder if it was like tied in with something like that where there's like so many people pouring into a city that um right for whatever reason just isn't equipped yeah do you know what year it was uh 2000 sorry, I feel like I'm no, like no, no please uh it happened on august 13th 2010 what yeah <laughs> yeah isn't that wild so it's pretty pretty that is recent horrific. that is insane yeah that yeah no the you know what i what i'm always afraid of happening is like when the 90 when they don't close the 90 fast oh my enough God. yeah for weather yeah. and and so people just get like snowed in and like local people like bring parked cars like trapped on the 90 snowed in on the 90 will like bring people blankets and yeah. snacks and stuff yep. that's i don't want that to no, happen to never. me i don't like that at all no. Or oh my gosh! <laughs> do you remember when we drove? Do you were, I know that you know what I'm thinking of when we drove down here when Brian was driving the four oh of us. Oh my gosh! Did, was Kelsey in the car? Was it the four of us or five of us? No, you well, went Jess, to Kelsey's house or something. Was Jess with us? Jess, we were driving and it was there uh, on the ninety going toward New York City. That doesn't make sense. Oh yeah, because we were going somewhere else. We were dropping you and Ty off somewhere. And so we were on the 90, right? And But it was like every 10 feet, there was a car that had gone oh off the road. Oh my God. Yeah. No, we were coming back down here. Right. And, but like every 10 feet, like it was, and I, I, I still think about yeah. it because I think like those people are just going to sit there until what's going to happen. Yeah, it was a total One tow truck is going to come mess. and just like tug, like pull everybody back onto the road. Yeah. And I think at one point there wait. were like tow trucks in the ditch, like right oh that was, yeah, that was why bad. was the 90 open why was it open yeah i don't think that was, was between um i mean it's still a state road but i think it was between syracuse and binghamton the 90 should have been closed though. everything should have been closed yeah. that's the that that's would the make more of the sense story. that it would be yeah yeah between here and binghamton or between yeah. yeah that would make more sense for the route but it was whatever insane. it was that was it was horrible yeah. it was and it just takes hours. It, it, it takes hours for people to get help. Right. Like, if you actually go off the yeah. road, because you can't help yourself. There's nothing you can do. No. You're just stuck yeah. now off the road. Oh you just have to wait for hours. And the road was just out. glass. It was just like sheets of ice. Brian did it, though. He did it. It took us 11 <laughs> hours. Yeah. It was 11 hours Normally, before we got back home. Like six. Yeah. Yeah. This but They were saying for it. the, for the um, Chinese traffic jam... It was one kilometer per day that people were driving. That is, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is you would, you would, you would abandon your car. Some yeah, people goodbye. would abandon their goodbye. cars, right? Like zombie apocalypse yep. movie or whatever, right? People will abandon their cars and then there's more traffic because people abandon their yeah, cars. Totally. Or, or it won't have moved in 10 hours. So you're going to go to the bathroom yeah, you run and out then of maybe gas. it moves, but now, right. You run out of gas. Totally. 10 days i mean what's the weather like in china in august hot i don't know i think it's probably yeah. hot depending on where you said in beijing yeah, hot right hot 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 no thank no. you no thank you that stinks yeah i know that i know that china's invested heavily in their train systems yeah and i wonder if that was like yeah for real let's get an, let's let's get another train line in yeah there. Truly. like cars cars are cars are, are not it not the way not the way so uh all right well uh sad one today. sad sad all around sad facts sad no one likes traffic but no one likes uh i just i, I don't know i just like i have this like my like instinct when thinking about the pilots is like for Bill, I wonder if he was just like, all right, we're going to land this shit and we're going to be fine. You know, like part of him was like, yeah. I'm going to be the hero of this. Not in like a, I'm going to be the hero, but like, no, I'm going to get us through this. You and I have had this, a version of this conversation many times, yeah. but there's a thing where um, like if you're in a, you're in, if you're in a position of power or authority, sometimes a decision has to be made and you're just the one who has to make yeah, it. Yep. 
there's just no way around yeah. that. And it might be the wrong decision. It might be the right decision. It might be, but you're just the one who has to do it. Yeah. So you just have to do what you can with what you have. And so if the the plane was going to connect to the earth, that was going to happen. Yeah. And so he, with his, you know, just human eyes, right, saw the longest, flattest thing that he could see and, you know, uh, Lyman was was flying the plane physically and Bill, I appreciate that Bill, Bill's the captain and he deferred, he didn't take over control, which I don't blame him, sure, yeah. right? Not like making a change, you know, mid-flight. I don't blame him for that. And they were both very experienced pilots. And yeah, you're, you're on... The plane is going to connect to the ground. That's going to happen. Yeah. And so you have to just try to pick the best place you can. And they're in a rural community and uh, I think a fairly forested community too. And I, I guess that's another part of it where if you're flying over a city, it might be very, very present in your mind to try to get away from populated areas. But if you're over a rural area, you might not see any houses. You might see one house every, you know, every acre or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, And so it's not, it's horrific how many people died on the ground and the damage that was done. But like the... That's not, again, not data, not information that he would have. Sure. And the plane was going to hit the ground. No matter what. That no matter was what. Yeah. going to happen. That was an unavoidable fact that they had to contend with. And they had to just make their decision. Yeah. And I, I think that if <sighs> the casualties on the ground... I would not do not want to diminish it. An entire family getting killed is horrific. Yeah. It's horrific. It's incredible that any passengers walked away from this. Truly. It is incredible that the flight attendants walked away from this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do the best you can. Yeah. Where you are with what you have. Definitely. But. I love you, Mariah. I love you too, Casey. Thanks for telling that. Yeah. Thanks for listening two days in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're trying to get ahead for you guys. Yeah. Because we love yes, you. Yes, we do. And We're committed. Yeah. We're committed. <laughs> We're here for the long haul. Long run. Yeah. Long, long life. <laughs> long flight. <laughs> long flight. We're here for the long haul flight. All right. The girl flies. I love you, Mariah. <laughs> I love you too, Casey. I love you. <laughs> I love all you guys. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you noticed anything we got wrong or you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and TikTok. I am really trying to figure out how to use TikTok, like very earnestly. Um, also, guys, uh, I said very confidently that a kilometer is the same length as a football field. Um, and our dearest darling, Steve, who wrote the uh, Smoking on Plane song, reminded me that a kilometer is not a hundred meters, but a thousand meters. So thank you, Steve, for uh, pointing that out. Um, so if you notice anything like that, that we got wrong and you want to throw us a message, please do. And uh, yeah, uh, we love you. We'll see you next week.